Good evening, one and all, and of course, welcome to today's podcast brought to you by Equine Devil's Advocate. It is a follow-up Friday again. It's been slightly warmer here today. Uh, we have had some very chilly, low cloud, grey days on this side of the world this week. Real reminders that we're in the midst of January um, and we do actually really rather envy some of your other glorious weather that you have in January. But hey-ho, such is life on this side of the world. Now, of course, follow-up Friday is where we get to hear your correspondence. And our topic for this week was an epiphany. What a great word. It's also a word that covers a big range in terms of meaning. You could say an intuitive grasp of something or an illuminating discovery, a realization or a revealing moment. The essence, of course, of an epiphany, though, is any one of those things. It's something that changes you. It takes you forward in understanding to a place from which you will never go back. It may be something really, really simple. For instance, fumbling around, learning to tie the perfect hay-net knot or a quick-release knot. Then suddenly you get it. Aha! That's how it's done. And from then on, all your knots will be good. You will never go back to the awkward fumbling. The world of horses is, of course, a world full of epiphanies to a greater or lesser degree. And if you think about it, in fact, life is full of epiphanies. Mine was the realisation that there really is and are so many more avenues and directions and pleasure in this fabulous world of horses, ponies and donkeys. It's not actually just about riding them or the process revolved around riding. And you see, it's different for lots of people. There are different circumstances. I did not choose my parents' lifestyle, although I certainly did appreciate it, but ponies and horses for us at that time were kept at livery. We did, of course, help with chores and tasks, holidays and weekends. There was the grooming, the collecting from the field, turning out to the field, rugging, picking out of feet, bathing. Yes, all of it. But they were chores. Necessary, of course, needing to be attended to, and that is, of course, good management. But the necessity within the chore itself was the method for learning. A good thing, of course it is, but that other thing, just to be present in the moment of rest and relaxation, not doing, asking anything of your four-legged friend, just connecting in friendship and in peace. Ah, that for me was a total revelation, a revelation of absolute pleasure. It is, of course, perhaps easier to relate to in terms of a cat that snuggles up to you and purrs like a motorbike 
whilst you're reading a book or watching a film. Or your dog, when they climb up beside you on the sofa and snuggle up and wander into slumber with their heads resting on your lap. It's that same sense of peace, stillness and relaxation, true friendship in stillness. And, yes, it came to me from a most unlikely source, a pale grey little working donkey. Around horses and ponies, this is not something that is often considered. And we are always praised for doing the doing. It's not advocated to just sit and be around them. It's always the representation of work for which we get praised. Interesting, is it not? And on that note, let's take a look at your epiphany correspondence. Now, a couple of you were brave enough to say you didn't quite know exactly what an epiphany was. Perfectly good and fair question. After all, if you don't know something, but you feel you can't ask, how on earth do you get to know, to learn and to understand? An epiphany really is an aha moment, be it a big one or a small one. Both are equally as important. And now this is another correspondence that we had from somebody. This is from somebody who says, I bought a second horse after having owned my first for 11 years. My first horse has got me into a lot of bad habits but he is not the sensitive type, and he tries his heart out and likes to please. My new horse is very sensitive, and I couldn't ride her very well. She would stop and not go forward, and just generally be very unhappy. I didn't have a clue what to do. I have had lots of help and advice about what to do to change with my riding, and how to change but I felt I just couldn't do it. I felt really stuck and felt like I had made the wrong decision in buying this really sweet mare. But after lots of soul-searching and thinking, one day all the advice I had been given finally sunk in and I got the aha moment and I knew what I needed to do in my riding to make the changes. It's still very early days, but we have made so many improvements. My lovely mare now seems happy, and that's what I want the most. I am so grateful to those that have helped me, but I am also very proud of myself, and so glad that I had that moment of revelation of what to do. Another one from somebody who says... I have two epiphanies I would like to share. Really, one is more instantaneous and revolves around my riding. All the putting of the pieces of the jigsaw to together to create alignment, balance, engage my core and a forward-feeling hand, yet a light seat, finally fell into place and became one feel. It was amazing and then suddenly my horse felt like a true athlete with the most amazing, powerful, 
yet calm engine. Wow. My second was a much lengthier process. Having established myself as someone willing to ride horses for people to sort them out, in inverted commas, something I did as an income, after which a good few scrapes and near misses, I came to the realisation that I never came away with a good outcome and more importantly feeling proud or good about myself. My epiphany was the realisation that I was functioning on ego alone. I had somewhere, somehow, lost my feel and desire to help the horses. I fell into the trap of ego to create a quick fix. That realisation hit me hard, but from that day, I stopped, never again. Now I am proud to, have, to admit I have learnt from it and moved on and am going forward. And here's another one. As someone who teaches, my epiphany at one of so very many, but this one is important to me as I love my teaching and I love to see people and their horses improve to a harmonious partnership and go on to do well. My epiphany was slow but very profound. It is the realisation that by getting the rider to focus on themselves and work within themselves, leave the horse alone as it were, shows that then the horses feel free and able to work underneath and with the rider. The picture then truly becomes one of harmony and partnership. It is a pleasure to watch and a world away from the traditional method of ride, in inverted commas, the horse. Yep, it's absolutely great correspondence and truly epiphanies are wonderful. One of those things you almost can't help but look forward to the next one. Thank you everybody for taking the time and writing in and though I'm very sure there are many, many epiphanies that have come about through a bad scenario, what's really important is the ability to move forward. That's what really counts and makes an epiphany worthwhile. Now, little Tutankhamun. Yes, he is still at home awaiting his fate and our return from France. So, oh well, let me not keep you all in the dark any longer. Let's continue with that story. Now, there came a point when two ponies were brought to our attention. Both, of course, were for sale. There was a black mare, 14 hands, 1 inch, called Harper, and a white-grey gelding, 14-2, called Tamashanta. Both happened to be at the same location, so it made sense, and arrangements were made. They were not too far away from us. It was only about an hour and a half's drive, and of course I was so very excited. On arrival, I did actually recognise the black mare. 
I had seen her at Penny Club Camp, funnily enough, and she was considered a good jumping pony. She always left the fences up, but also a bit of a fireball, a pocket rocket. She flew around courses, all fire and brimstone, as though her life depended upon it. Not a lot to be done up there, apart from, hang on, sit tight and steer. After she finished a couple of tight turns and circles, and then she realised it was time to exit the ring, but always full of huff and puff and activity. Now, father. Really liked her, and yes, she was very exciting to watch. And I think it's true sometimes that that sort of whirlwind of snorting and huffing and puffing and thundering hooves does rather appeal to men. There's a sort of wildness about it, and it probably does actually appeal to the male ego. But to ride, she wasn't scary or difficult, but. How can I describe it? It was a bit like a fairground ride, you know. Strap yourself in, and then off you go, whirling around at lightning speed. Then it's all over, and you go, "What just happened? What was that? Was that real, or did I dream it? Where am I?" Okay, then you get off, and your body feels like it's still whirling around. As I said. Father was very taken with her. The other pony, as it happened, was completely different. In fact, they could not have been more opposite. He, Tamashanta, was very sweet and calm, and actually looked more like a small horse than a pony. He had the head of a small horse, the frame and the limbs of a small horse, but a great thick, fluffy mane. Of a pony, the more dense coat of a pony, and the small hooves of a pony. He was completely different to sit on. He felt bigger than his measured size, and much more horse-like in his paces. He had a lovely way of going. He was very balanced, very light, and even in his footfalls. And he really carried himself naturally in a lovely frame. Walk, trot, and canter blended really easily from one to another and back again. A far cry from the washing machine spin cycle of Harper, where wouldn't couldn't actually really work out exactly what pace she was in. Father asked the question, "Does?" He jump, to which came the reply, "Well, a little bit. We don't really think it's his forte, or his best skill." Okay," said Father. I think they sensed his reservation at their response. Well, they said we're doing some pole work and some grid work with him on the ground to develop his learning, and then they quickly. Started to organise poles and place them and measure them on the ground. Now, being so light on his feet and in such a naturally balanced frame, I have to say he felt lovely going through those trot pole grids, 
and even more so when the poles were raised. But father, still obviously under the spell of fire and brimstone, was still not quite taken by this calm balance and encouraged some jumps to be added. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. He felt like his legs had fallen off. They were stiff and stilted and all going in different directions all at the same time. It was not a jump. It was a lurch. Not good. And even when at its absolute best, he still felt like a Bambi in calipers. Not his forte was perhaps something of an understatement. But then, of course, it came to decision time. Father still very much had his eye on the whirling dervish harper, but I actually preferred Tamashanta. Then it's in those moments that a strange sort of pressure descends upon us. Yes, I do like harper, but. Yes, I do like Tamashanta, but. What's the right thing to do? I enjoyed the ride of him more, and probably his sweet disposition seemed slightly more appealing, especially after my experience with Jenny the little donkey. I could imagine him enjoying, still relaxing downtime and being read to, whereas with Harper, I rather felt that I would require a large screen TV and she would need her own game console. But I said to parents, I preferred him. Then I said to mother, but he doesn't jump. Immediately came the very practical, logical response. We'll do something else with him then, she said. Ugh, it seems so obvious when she said it. Sometimes things do when people say stuff. Another epiphany. There is way more to do than just jumping. But at the time, it seemed like a complete revelation. Do something else? Why didn't I think of that? I made my decision, and Tamashanta became my new bigger pony, the one to grow into and possibly not grow out of. Father tried one last time. Do you not want to think about that one just a little bit more? He pointed towards Harper, but I think he also realised that he was actually outnumbered, because Mother was rather more taken with Tamashanta, and I think she could actually see herself riding him too. Now he was brought home, and he settled really well. And very quickly, we found our niche, our other thing to do. And rather than going through a process of trying to reorganize what could be considered disastrous stilted jumping, there was another avenue for us. We joined a quadrille team. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's the choreographed drill ride with music. Some people call it dressage, but it isn't in the truest sense of the word. It's the type of thing that you see 
from the Spanish Wine School of Vienna, how they organise their routines. Though obviously there, there are way more than four horses at a time. And its origin actually stems very much from a cavalry background. So you will, in fact, still see demonstrations at Olympia, particularly over Christmas. The mounted police do one. Turns out, Tamashanta was very, very good at it. He naturally had all the right attributes. And it taught me such a lot. It taught me to ride, be aware, and organised around and with others. Timing, positioning, and execution all with flow and as a team. He was always easy to ride. He had a lovely way of going and was responsive to the aids. I was always able to make small adjustments to stay in sync and stride with his teammates. Very, very different, but nonetheless actually just as exciting as jumping. Now, sadly, I don't know why, but one doesn't see these things now, so much save for at Olympia and perhaps the occasional pas de deux. I don't really know why they disappear and why they die off. Perhaps we ought to rekindle them and promote them some more. But, of course, there was the flip side of this new and inspiring journey. Alongside this came the fate of my little golden pathfinder, Tutankhamun. The golden transformation, no longer demonic and cursed, but always angelic and very much cherished. Well, parents remained true to their word, and after probably about a month or so of the arrival of Tam, a family arrived to try Tutankhamun. Where they came from, if by word of mouth or advertisement, I did not know. I think it seemed that parents chose not to tell me too much, probably to save their eardrums and stress levels. Now, this family had three little children, two boys and a girl. Seven, five and three, I think they were. The little girl was the oldest and she was seven, just as I had been when I first met him. It was a very strange, almost surreal process. I rode him first for them so they could watch him. And I was extremely proud of how good he was and how well he went whilst they were watching him. I was so proud of how fabulous he was with all three of these little children and how nicely he went for the little girl. Of course, needless to say, they loved him. The whole family were instantly smitten. And of course, they wanted him. How could they not? It's at that point that the realisation hits like a ton of bricks. Needless to say, my floodgates opened and the banshee whale was unleashed with full force. It's such a difficult and traumatic emotional process and very personal. But I had a new beginning and 
why shouldn't he? Over time, one comes to realize all that's right about it. He went to the right family, a family where he would have all the love and attention and time threefold from three little children, all of whom adored him. You see, the real truth of a situation like this is that they looked at him as a future. Relationships that were beginning and would grow and develop and learn and time would bring more and more and more. Yet, had he stayed with me as an outgrown pony, I would only have been able to look at him as a past, a journey that was what we had done, what we used to do, all past tense. Yes, perhaps a future in friendship, but not in activity. That would only dwindle. And the reality of that for me is actually more sad than him being loved and cherished and valued all over again. As I said, it's not something that we realize at the time, but as we grow mentally, emotionally, as well as physically, we can see a bigger view, more landscape, and appreciate the beauty and the good in it, if we choose to look. Now, on that note, please do join us on this coming Monday. Next week will be a little bit different in format because on this coming Monday we're going to be covering a specialist topic question purely because it's actually a time factor and it's easier to do it on Monday than it is to do an extra midweek. But it's a very, very good question. It's a question about positive reinforcement. So, until then, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, please do take care and we will, of course, speak very soon.